things I learned when I came to this church 25 years ago is that if you invite the kids up, you never know what will happen. <laughs> and I do remember one Sunday where I liked to banter with the kids a little bit, and I said, I remember saying to them, you all look so young. What is the secret of looking young? And one of them replied, moisturizer. Another thing that I learned very early on in my ministry is that I should wear a tie on Sunday morning. During my first six months or so, I decided that I would try not wearing a tie and see what happened. So I did that one Sunday, and it all seemed to work out fine. I didn't notice any upset, and then at the end, the ushers gave me a note that was in the offering plate, and the note said the minister should wear a tie. <laughs> and I've worn a tie ever since, although I should tell you that among new sort of young adult ministers, it is now fashionable to not wear a tie and also to have your shirt, you know, untucked and the casual look and all that. So I just want to let you know that there are many paths and they all can be valid. I also learned early on that people like to have fun at church. People enjoy that. They like to have a joyful experience, in, even in a religious setting. I remember once going to an Orthodox bar mitzvah in Chicago, and uh, you know, there's some different things. The men are all on one side and the women are all on the other side. But the very elderly men sat in the front row. And the kids would come up before the service and even during the service to these older men. And these men would give them a piece of candy. And I said to myself, these, this is pretty smart religion. <laughs> this is a pretty good thing to do. It's good to enjoy one's house of worship, even though we confront some pretty difficult issues sometimes, and that's part of it too. Laughter, as a matter of fact, is one of the ways we handle our difficulties. If it were the only way we ever handled difficulty, it would not be such a great thing, but since it's only one of several ways, it really plays a role in keeping us healthy. I learned early that I should not ask Maureen O'Haney, would you raise your hand please? I should not ask Maureen O'Haney to give the sermon in the middle of the service because I did that once actually and she didn't come up but she vowed that if I ever did it again she was going to come up and give the sermon and so I don't think it's likely that I'm going to take that option but I could if I don't have a sermon one of these Sundays. I have learned that our church is very generous and that we are givers and that we particularly love to give to physical objects like a building, for example, or a parking lot, for example, or hymn books, 
or this beautiful grand piano. We love doing that, and, and so I find that fascinating. And we also donate generously to uh, support people in need, and we also give generally, uh, generously to annual budgets as well, as will be proven in about one hour from now. And without that generosity, this church would not exist. It's just that simple. I have learned that if I go to a public event in this city, any public event in this city, there is a good chance I will be asked to pray. Pretty good chance. And so that was kind of a shock to me in the beginning. But I have gotten to the place where I feel good about that role, and I feel like it does some kind of service in the community. And it's particularly because I tend to do it in a different style, and so I think sometimes people want that. I have learned that music has a healing effect on us. All kinds of music has a healing effect. And we might be the one who's making the music, as Sherry and Anna did this morning, and Pete does, or we might be the ones who are just listening, or we might be the ones who are singing together or making music together in some way. And what I have learned, which I think is true, is that all of those are healing experiences for the people who are present. And so that is a wonderful thing. I have also learned regarding music that whatever happens during the Sunday service that has to do with music, however unexpected it might be, that Pete will handle it gracefully. And so I don't need to worry about that, actually. What a blessing that has been. I have learned that at a wedding, being the minister is one of the easier jobs. (laughs) And so I really like that. Because it's much more difficult, I think, to be the bride or the groom or the mother or father of the bride or the groom or the wedding planner It's so much easier to be the minister than to be a wedding planner, good grief. And so I'm grateful for that role. I have learned that there is a value in having a long-term ministry. One of the values in having a long-term, it's not always possible to do that, but one of the values in a long-term ministry, I think, is that both the minister and the congregation are freed up from constantly thinking about who's going next or who's coming or all. So in the absence of having to think about that all the time, congregations and ministers can be freed up to think just about what's going on in the community and the world and what we want to do because we don't have to continually think about where I'm going or somebody else is going. And so long-term ministry has a real value in the world. 
when it is possible. I have learned that the history of this church, indeed any church, is important and that we should know our history because churches and other communities have patterns of behavior, interestingly enough. And you can ask Kathy and she will explain this to you. That institutions and communities like this tend to do certain patterns over and over again. And it's a fascinating thing that one can study and, and one can work on too, just like you'd work on any issue in your life. And one of the wonderful things about this church is that this church has a really fascinating history and also has a period of time about a hundred years ago that this church really um, was shining in a very special way. We think it was probably the largest universalist church in the United States and also had these wonderful Sunday evening lectures by people like Clarence Darrow and Jane Addams and, and uh, uh, Will Durant and people like that. And so I think the history of this church inspires us and encourages us to play a major role in this community. That's, that's what I think I observe. And so I think that has been a really good thing for us. And this church is a beacon in the community right now. And I think our history is part of that. And so that's an important thing for us to study and uh, ponder how that affects us in the present moment. I have learned that even though a certain member of the church, who I would never name, even though a certain member of the church may be a wonderful, sweet, long-term, loyal member of the church, honored and respected by everyone who that person knows. That does not mean that that person will not cheat at playing pool. <laughs> and I just want to say that happened to me. That happened to me. And what I learned from that, I learned several things from that. You know, you always want, you never know, you know, what appearances may or may not be telling you. But I also realized that if that should ever happen, I should not get all moralistic about it. <laughs> I have learned that having many different kinds of people around is energizing. It's energizing, and it makes life more interesting. But it only works if those different kinds of people are welcome. Then that becomes a creative mix that I think speeds up our development in many ways and is really healthy for us if the different kinds of people are welcome. Now, if they're not welcome, that's a totally different ballgame. That's stress and tension and unhappiness and grouchiness. But in a welcoming community, the different kinds of people will create energy and they will create growth and they will push us in various directions that we might not have gone. 
if we didn't have those different kinds of folks. And so that is a good thing for us. And it also depends entirely on us being loving and welcoming to the folks who come in, those, come in these doors. I have learned that people come to a religious community for all different kinds of reasons. Some of these reasons might be noble aspirations or wanting to seek spiritual truth or wanting to find the meaning of life. Some people just want to find a date. Some people just like the food. I know for a fact that some people come here primarily for the music. So there are all kinds of reasons why somebody might come to a church. Some people do it because they know that their grandmother really, really, really wants them to go to church. And they figure, well, I'll go to the UU church. That'll, that'll do it. <laughs> but another thing that I've learned or that seems true to me is that once anyone is inside the door, it is not that terribly important why they came through the door. Because we're here. At that point, we're just here. And things happen. I have learned that even our moments of grief can be times of a deep and profound sense of community. As a matter of fact, grieving together is one of our most important shared experiences. This is why our memorial services are often so meaningful, because that common experience of grief really goes into a deep part of us. And people sometimes ask me, isn't it hard to do memorial services or that kind of question? It's an honor to do memorial services. And it's a way that we experience the depth of life. It's hard to be superficial at a memorial service. You're pulled into the depth. I have learned that our community is full of talented leaders and that I do not have to carry all the leadership load. It is learning that lesson that has made it possible for me to have a long-term ministry here. That's what has made it possible. What a good thing for me to learn that. I have also learned that one of the keys to authentic community is that sometimes, and perhaps even often, we need to put the good of the community higher than our private wishes. We have to do that. And fairly often, I think, it is not helpful to fight every fight just because we think we are right. We're all right all the time. That does not justify necessarily fighting about it. And so often, we need to let go of our personal preferences, and we need to see clearly, as clearly as we can, what would be most healing for the community in that particular moment, which is not necessarily what we want. And as a matter of fact, on the building committee, I wanted the choir to be up front. And actually, I think it worked better this way. And the choir didn't want to be up front anyway. They were rebelling like crazy. So there are many times, I think, if we want to have a genuine community, we have to let go of our own personal preference. 
and see what is going to be good for everyone. If we miss that opportunity, which we sometimes do, and then we do start having the pot boil over, then the next best thing then is forgiveness. And so we do that sometimes too. I have learned that people of other faiths and of no faith at all are all our potential allies. The friends I have made in other faiths are just as smart as you use, just as dedicated as you use, and many of them are just as progressive or more progressive than you use. People belong to religious traditions for many reasons. A lot of times it has to do just where, what family you were born into, and that becomes your religious tradition. We have common purpose with lots of people in other faiths. And the more we see that, the more influential we will be. The more we will actually grow as, as we see our common purpose with people of other faiths and of no faith at all. We cannot do this work alone. I have learned that one of the things we like to do the most is to be creative in this church. We like to make things, write things, perform plays, tell jokes, make funny announcements, decorate, design, create new kinds of experiences, dress up, have mystery parties. We like that stuff. And I will just share that I am convinced that creativity is at the core of what we are about as individuals, as a community, as a species, and as a universe. Creativity is at the core of what we do in this life. And when we get in touch with creativity, we feel good. We like it. We say, oh, that's nice. I have learned, at least in my view, that the gulf between theists and atheists is overestimated. My experience of UUs and of thinking people in general is that what we look for and require in our dialogue partners are two things. This is what we really want, I think. We want authenticity. We want people to be real and not fake. And we want credibility. We want to hear convictions and ideas that make sense. That's, those are the two things we want. We want authenticity and credibility. We want people to tell us what they really mean and, and make sense to us. And that could come from a variety of worldviews. For example, take the contrast between creationism on the one hand and Martin Luther King on the other. Both of them are theologically Christian theists, but they're not equally credible. And so my experience is, and you may disagree, and I have learned that you always disagree sometimes, <laughs> that it's not, the question of theism and atheism is not the primary question. The primary questions are, is this an authentic, spiritual position, and does it make sense? We got a whole bunch of people right now uh, reading 
Bishop John Shelby Spong. He's an Episcopal bishop. Good grief. And yet, lots of, things, lots of people think he's credible and authentic. So this helps me to make sense out of what's going on in the world. The great divide in the religious world is not between theists and atheists. That's not the divide, actually. I would suggest to you the divide in the religious world is between the group that we could call the liberals, moderates, and progressives on the one hand, and the literalists and fundamentalists on the other hand. That's the divide. At least that my learning has brought me to that understanding. And that helps me a lot because, for example, we have a problem right now in the world with this terrorist organization called ISIL. And I'm convinced that uh, to say then that Muslims are warlike or violent is that I just don't think that works. Muhammad Ali is a great example of a contrasting of a Muslim who was a peacemaker in the world who took harsh some tough stands but ended up in his life as a peacemaker. I think our role in that situation is to be with the liberals, moderates, and progressives within Islam. Imam Mufti, a mile from here, is one of those people. Not to draw the line between us and Islam, but to understand that people of all faiths are disturbed by extremism and do not support it. And to be with all those people who feel that way, whether they're atheists or pagans or Muslims or Hindus, those are our people, I think. I have learned that our path as you use includes the path of justice. We cannot neglect the path of justice. It's part of our commitment to the worth and dignity of every person. And so our work includes justice work. And just because uh, justice is not the only thing we need to do, but it's one of the things we need to do. There is a balance between saving life and savoring life. And we need to live in that balance. I have learned that there is something deeply satisfying about serving. Serving each other in communities, serving on committees, even serving on committees can be joyful work. I see it all the time. Doing the common work that is needed to sustain a community. Loving service expands our hearts. And it fills us full of some kind of joy. Not every minute of every committee meeting, I'm not making that claim, but overall, our volunteering and serving opens us up and lets our best self come out. And that's why we volunteer for this stuff. Many of us have often wondered, why do I volunteer for all this stuff? Because serving expands our hearts. I have learned that as beautiful and special as this community is, we are not unique. 
We are rather part of a gigantic network of communities all over the world, religious communities, secular groups, political action groups, environmental communities, artistic communities, interfaith communities, and all kinds of visionary groups that are trying to bring in the quality of life that we want. Thank goodness we are not the only ones. And I have learned to nurture these connections and grow through them and to try to lead our community into connectedness with other groups that share a common vision because that's the power that is going to have the effect that we want. I have learned that the life partner of the minister, including my life partner, will inevitably be part of the ministry. In many ways, that some of which are obvious and some of which are subtle. And that that pattern is deeply engraved in our culture and will happen no matter whether we want it to or not. And so Diane has been my partner. And so she is one of the ministers, too. And that's sometimes a joy and sometimes, you know, <laughs> that's authenticity. Dear. She's shaking her head, yes. I have learned to cherish this place. This period of time that we are together in this moment of opportunity, this creative coming together of souls. How fortunate we are to be together and to share this opportunity to learn and grow and love and have people like Pete and, and all the others who play such a tremendous role in the ministry of this church. May we ride this wave of creativity and affection to the greatest height we can. Or as Bishop Swan puts it, we should love wastefully. And together with all others around the world who share a common vision, whatever their theology or religious affiliation or lack of religious affiliation, to be part of that movement, to give birth to an age of compassion. an age of justice and peace. Thank you so much for being partners together on the great journey.